So about a year ago, um, I guess, God began downloading, I'll say, uh, a message or a sermon about marriage. And uh, I've put it off and put it off, but during that time, I've continued to get words, get ideas about it, and I really believe it's something that's valuable. I think it's a message that needs to be taught in the church. I think it's a message that maybe has not been taught correctly, and uh, I'd like to share it with you today. Uh, I'm calling this, if you want to put it up there, I'm calling this Marriage 101, because it's about the very, very basics, the the, the start from the beginning, the foundational uh, marriage. You know, when you look at the statistics, if you want to bring those up, um, Christian marriages don't fare a whole lot better than non-Christian marriages. And that's, that's really alarming. And it doesn't really matter which stats you look at. You look at some statistics, they'll say 20, 25%. You look at others, they'll say 40%. Well, whatever, it's bad. You know, we shouldn't be seeing this type of marriage failure as Christians, especially. If you go to the next slide, uh, this was really alarming, was the um, <laughs> comparison between Protestant and Christian faiths to other faiths around the world. Now, I think a lot of that's due to Western culture. Um, our Western culture presents a lot of challenges, temptations. It presents a lot of things that maybe aren't present in other cultures. Also in other cultures, there may be persecution or even facing death or expulsion from the family for divorcing. So that may keep some of them together. But whatever the cause is, it's, I would say, almost an epidemic in our country. And there's hardly any family that hasn't been touched in some way, whether it was a friend or a family member or whatever. And um, so what I want to try to do is look at the root cause. What, what, what is causing this? Where, where are we missing it? Because obviously we're missing something somewhere or we wouldn't be seeing this much. Um, for the last several years, I've got the nerves, sorry. I tried not to be. I was like, Lord, please don't let me be nervous. But guess what? I'm nervous. <laughs> but um, for probably 20-some years, I've worked in some kind of technical or engineering capacity at work. One, one of the more recent jobs I had was a reliability engineer at Sabelco. And reliability is what it sounds like. You, you look at equipment, you look at failures, you try to figure out why did it fail, and then you try to make it run more reliably. Well, one of the techniques that you use is called root cause failure analysis. I really, I really believe if we did a root cause failure analysis on why a lot of marriages break up, we would find that they have failed to follow the instructions that Christ gave the church in Genesis so let's pull that verse up. I got to pull it up here too so I can read it. And the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. 
And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And the whole basis for this sermon is in this highlighted verse. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. You know, I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon on that Bible verse. It probably has been. Normally when you hear sermons about marriage, it's got to do with husbands love your wife like Christ loved the church, or it's wives submit yourself to your husbands. I don't think I've ever heard this verse used in any other context but maybe a wedding ceremony. And I really think that this verse forms the foundation for what marriage should be about. Like I said earlier, I think if you did a failure analysis, we might find, or we would find, that failure to execute this or to follow this or to apply this to our lives is the reason for most marriage failures. So let's move on to the next verse. I didn't... You can leave PowerPoint slides up till you get to the next blank one. One thing that I wanted to uh, touch on a little bit is uh, the leaving and cleaving, I'll call it. I almost named this message leaving and cleaving. I thought that's kind of catchy, it's kind of funny. But... Uh, of course, this is old English terminology, and a lot of the times when uh, the Bible is translated into newer versions like the NIV and different things, they, they try to make it into modern language, so I guess it's more ap applicable to today and to the way people speak today. The bad thing with that can be that some words have more than one meaning, and that's especially true with Hebrew and Greek. That's also true with this word cleave. And I just wanted to give some examples here. The King James translated it cleave. The English Revised Version translates it cleaved. The Aramaic Bible translates it as cleaved. But not all, not all Bibles do. Some of them will translate it as to be joined together, which essentially means the same thing. But um, I wanted to look at this verb cleave. It can either mean to adhere firmly together, or it can mean to cut apart. I think the choice of this word for this scripture was perfect. It's the perfect word here. Because what's happening is you're being cut apart from your primary family, which is your mom and dad, and you're being joined together, which has got a totally opposite meaning for cleave, with your spouse. And this is a bond that is supposed to be, does anybody remember the, uh, uh, there was a song by a country band, Sugarland. You and me, baby, are stuck like glue. Remember that song? Well, that's actually, I know that was a bad rendition, wasn't it? But <laughs> I think that's how you could look at this. If you look at this cloven hoof here, it's in two halves but they are joined inseparably. 
You cannot separate those two halves of that hoof without destroying the hoof. That's how marriages should be. I wish I could have got the headset to work because I got too much going on with my hands here. So I want to start first. Um, there's two halves to this. I want to first start uh, talk about leaving. If you want to jump to slide number nine. Well, yeah. Let's back up. We're, we're not. I wanted to get a mouse clicker and run this myself. Back up. No, come forward. Come forward. Oh, I know what it was. You jumped ahead of me, and I thought we was in the wrong place. Sorry. Uh, I, I somewhat apologize for using PowerPoint, but at work, uh, everything I do, if I do something at work, it's on PowerPoint. That's just what I'm used to, so bear with me here. On the leaving, uh, I wanted to expound on this a little bit. Leaving is primarily talking about that emotional and separation, that dependence, that control that the parents have on one of the members of the marriage and not as much about physically relocating to a different house or to a different city or whatever. And the reason I want to bring that up is you could still fall under the control of a controlling parent even if you lived a hundred or a thousand miles away. And we all know in this church people or a person whose marriage failed because of a controlling parent. It happens. You know, if you've got an overbearing parent and they're trying to dictate what's going on in the marriage, it's going to struggle. And so what God's saying with the leave is you're no longer part, once you become married, if you want to move the next slide, once you become married, you're no longer part of team mom and dad. That's not to say you don't still enjoy their company, you go eat lunch with them on Sundays, whatever. But you move from team mom and dad to team us, we'll call it. And that marriage relationship, when you move to team us, that's got to be the most important relationship in your life. It's got to be above team mom and dad. Um, it's second only to your relationship with God. If you'll move, next slide. You know, I found this, I always find it interesting when um, they do research and these scientists, they research and they find out that, oh, King David really did live. Well, the Bible tells us he did. Or, or, you, or King Solomon really did have a palace of gold. You know, whatever it is they discover, you're like, well, if you just read your Bible and believed it, you would know that. I found this interesting, that interestingly, research shows that putting your spouse first provides the security, comfort, and stability that helps children thrive. Well... No surprise there that that's what the Bible has told us to do as married couples. And when couples put each other first, it sets the stage for a fantastic relationship where each person feels loved, supported, and secure. 
Secondary only to your personal relationship with God, your marriage must be the most important relationship in your life. Back to the, um, you know, I made the statement earlier that if we did that failure analysis, we'd find that uh, most marriages fail from a failure to follow this. Um, think, of, think of any scenario that you can think of, whether it be the, the husband cheated on his wife. Well, what's at the core of that? Lust? Uh, selfishness? You can't be controlled by selfishness and be selfless and one with your spouse. They go totally opposite of each other. If you care as much about how your spouse feels and care as much about how things affect them as you do yourself, then that's going to guide and direct you. Does that make sense? So on the leaving, next slide, on the leaving one's father and mother, it doesn't mean forsaking them. Uh, never visiting them, failing to support them, doesn't necessarily mean physically moving out of the house. Um, it can, and in some situations that might be best. Um, if, if you've got overbearing parents, you're probably going to know it before you get married. If you know you've got overbearing parents, you probably shouldn't try to live with them. It's just a fact, and I don't know anybody's situation here, so if this is hitting home with anybody, I'm not talking about you, I promise. This is just what, the God, what God gave me. For some people, it works. Um, my mom, when Mitzi and I got married, we started off pretty, pretty basic. I, I bought a, a trailer, a 12 by 70 single wide trailer. Bought it from a guy sitting in a junkyard, so help me. Paid $5,000 for this trailer. The guy had been selling pot out of it. He'd kept dogs in it to keep people away from his pot. So I ripped all the carpet out, painted the ceilings, put new carpet down, found a secret compartment in the floor. It's full of pot seeds, you know. Found, found bullet holes in the floor. But anyway, I fixed this little trailer up and it was our home for, what, three years, Mitzi? But I didn't quite have it ready when we got married. And so we had to spend, I don't know, two weeks with mom. And my mom, she wasn't like kicking me out, but she was pretty adamant that, Dale, you guys really need to get out on your own. You guys really need to get out on your own. And mom pretty much uh, adhered to that even when she was 92 years old. It's like my sister talked to her about moving in with her, and mom's like, mm -mm, no, I don't need to be in your house. I need to be on my own. So. It depends a lot on families, and it depends a lot on a lot of things, and I'm not saying that you have to do that. It may work perfectly well, and in some cultures, uh, it works great. Uh, in some cultures, it's expected that the father live with the father and mother. So it's on a case-by-case -case basis. It's, it's not cut in stone, but it is something to think about. And with that, when I said that the Bible's not telling us to like forsaken our parents. To the contrary, the Bible has plenty to say about loving and caring for your parents. 
Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the earth. That doesn't have a time limit. That doesn't say when you're a kid to do that. That carries out through your whole life. Uh, Ephesians says the same thing. Proverbs says, hearken to thy father that beget thee and despise not their mother, thy mother when she is old. Cast me not off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. From Psalms. And from Timothy, but if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So this scripture, I feel like, is in no way telling us that we abandon our mom and dad. But it is important that that separation that I talked about, that dependency on them, that control that they may or may not exercise on you, that's got to be broken if you're going to succeed in your marriage. That's awful quiet right there. Yeah. Oh, well, sorry about that. Why are you afraid to say amen? So if you want to move forward a couple of slides. A little bit further talking about leaving. Leaving does involve freedom from parental control. Leaving breaks the dependency for parents to fulfill all the child's needs. Marriage decisions must be made by the married couple, not by the parents, not by the in-laws. Very important. The couple must be their own family unit or team. Now, Mitzi and I have been married coming up on 40 years. Are, 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 we, ex <laughs> are we experts? Well, thank you, for, thank you for the congratulations. Are we experts? No. Have we always done everything correctly? No. Do you get it right and then you've got it forever? No. You have to grow in it. Um, life changes. So as life changes, your situation may change. As your situation changes, you have to adapt to that. And there'll be multiple times when you'll need to sit down and talk something out, work, work things out together. That's what God expects us to do. We're, we're not to make a decision on our own, especially when it affects the marriage or affects our spouse, and not consult the spouse. If you do that, even if Let's say I decide, I don't know, I got to think of something here. Uh, let's say I decide to take a new job and I don't talk it over with Mitzi. And that job's going to have me gone from home all the time. And we didn't talk it over. And she says, that's fine. Any of you guys have been married a long time when your wife says, that's fine. It's probably not fine. I'll just tell you, <laughs> you're probably in big trouble. But let's, let's say she says, that's fine. But then a bitter root begins to grow. And as that bitter root begins to grow, it gets worse and worse. Resentment builds up. And then all at once, <laughs> it's blow up. A friend of mine once told me that his final fight with his ex-wife <laughs> was over a bologna sandwich. How do you get divorced over a bologna sandwich? Well, I'd say there was a whole lot that led up to that fight over the bologna sandwich. 
you know? And that's the type of thing I'm talking about here. You, you've, as a couple, you've got to make your decisions together. You absolutely have to. Um, you're not always going to agree. Sometimes you're going to have to compromise. Let me see if I'm getting off course here. I hope I'm not. Oh, I was going to expand a little bit more or expound a little bit more on uh, parental control. Um, controlling parents interfering everything. Um, they'll use manipulation tactics. Uh, a manish, manipulation tactic might be, okay, the, the, you, you buy your kid a new car in the marriage. Uh, but then you kind of hold that over their head as, uh, well, I bought you that new car, you know, or, or you make the child a partner in your business, but you sort of hold that over their head. Well, you know, I did make you a partner in my business. There, there's lots of ways that uh, people can manipulate. Conditional love, you got, they want something in return before they'll love you. Lack of empathy and respect Eliminating or providing little privacy. As a married couple, you need privacy. If you want to run through the living room in your skivvies, you need to be able to run through the living room in your skivvies. It's just a fact. You need privacy as a married couple. <laughs> Criticizing or having an unsolicited opinion about the couple's choices. Unattainable or perfectionist standards. Um, well, when me and your mom got married, we did this. Well, that's 50 years ago, Dad. Things have changed now. We can't do it that way anymore. You know? You, you need to be free from that. And that's part of what that leaving involves. You've got to get away from that. You've got to be your own family unit, making your own choices together. Nine, I thought this was interesting, nine common problems with parents' in-laws. My parents' in-laws are too controlling. That was number one. My parents' in-laws are rude or unfriendly. My parents' in-laws, I mean, I could say parents or in-laws because on one side, it's your in-law, on the other side, it's your parents. But treat my spouse like a child. My parents' in-laws are too involved in my married life. Um, my parents or in-laws judge and criticize my every move. My parents or in-laws are clingly, clingy and overly attached to my spouse. My parents and in-laws have no respect for my privacy. Um, they're dramatic and too sensitive. Or probably one of the worst ones, they try to turn me and my spouse against each other. All these things happen. I know these are just points on a PowerPoint slide, but these actually happen. And these actually cause marriages to fail, and they actually cause stress in marriage. Again, God wants us to leave and cleave. We'll talk about cleaving in a minute, but I want you to understand what I'm talking about by leaving. It's not necessarily, well, see you, pops, we're out of here, and then you never talk to him again. Years go by, you've not called your mom and dad. No, God don't want you to do that. That's not honoring your parents. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about breaking that dependency 
breaking that control, being your own family, making your own decisions, and being joined together as one, glued together, stuck like glue. All right, I want to talk about the cleaving part. Now, I was saying earlier, you know, uh, when you think of a cleave, first thought that comes to my mind is a meat cleaver. You know, you, you lay a piece of chicken breast down or something, you whack it and you cut it apart. Cleaving also means to join together as one. And that's what this is. It means to literally cling or be stuck together further clarified by the two becoming one flesh. Now, I don't know how many times I've, I've heard this talked about and with a singular meaning that becoming one flesh. Well, that happens on your wedding night. Well, there's much more to becoming one flesh than just that consummation act. That's just a small part of it. It includes much more. Neither the husband nor the wife is complete in themselves anymore. If you move to the next slide on the uh, cloven hoof, I just, I, I couldn't get away from this. It just made such perfect sense to me, and it was such a perfect analogy of what the Scripture is saying. If you look at a cloven hoof, it is two distinct halves, but you can't take that apart without destroying it. You, you could chop one side of the hoof off, I suppose, but that animal's gonna be crippled for life. It's not gonna be able to function properly, okay? What happens when a marriage fails? When it's torn apart, you can't tear it apart without causing hurt and damage. You, you can't. Um, even though there's two halves to this hoof, it functions together as one foot or one hoof. And the two halves, function better than the one. And an example of that is, uh, so are you guys familiar, you know the Bible mostly when it's talking about cloven hooves, it's, uh, it's talking about uh, what you can eat. Uh, if the animal's got the cloven hoof, if it chews the cud, then it was supposed to be clean. You know, that included cows and I don't want to start trying to name them because I'll fail, but it included a number of animals that were considered ritually clean. Uh, but it does much more than that. Uh, an animal with a cloven hoof can negotiate difficult terrain much better than an animal with a closed hoof like a, like a horse. Horses' hooves are designed for speed. They're designed for flat ground or designed for running. A mountain goat can actually take those two toes in their hoof and they'll use it to actually grab on. I've seen pictures of mountain goats on the side of a sheer rock cliff and you'll think, how on earth did that thing get up there and how's it staying there without falling off? Uh, I found a lot of symbology in that with negotiating difficulties in marriage. Two together, working like that cloven hoof, and praying together and working out the problems together are going to negotiate the, the difficulties, the, the problems in life, the rough patches much better than one on their own can. Uh, 
Mitch and I, you know, all families go through hard things. Um, we, we've had our share. Um, she had a failed back surgery back in 2004, I guess it was. Left her paralyzed from the waist down. And it literally took our little world and turned it upside down and shook it real good, you know? And then she had a surgery and we thought everything was gonna be fine. Well, then the surgery failed. And so it shook us again. You know, it was like it jerked the rug out from under us. And I remember laying on the bed with her. I'm not trying to uh, get empathy out of you here, but I remember me and her laying on the hospital bed, holding hands and just crying for hours. I mean, we were just heartbroken. I can't imagine either of us dealing with something like that without the other. You know, you, um, and if you go back to how this hoof together, the two halves of it work together better than just the single could possibly work. Um, I just found it was, a, it was a good analogy and a good example of, of how it's supposed to work. Is any of this making sense to you guys? Okay. Becoming one doesn't happen overnight. You don't one day get married and say, I do, and then go off on your honeymoon and bang, you've instantly become as one. It, it, it doesn't happen like that. It takes work. It takes time. It's something you got to work at. Uh, and there's lots of questions that'll have to be answered. Like, I've got an example here. Does a husband pursue his career over his wife's desire to move to another state for a once-in-a-lifetime job offer? Should the guy go out fishing with his buddies every week while his wife is stuck at home with the kids? Do they merge their finances, possessions, and time? Many questions are going to arise that you're going to have to work through and be in agreement on in order to grow into that oneness. Um, there was a guy at Uniman years ago, and all the people at the plant, nobody re respected the guy for what he did, but he would, those guys at Uniman, operators make really good money. He's working seven days a week, getting overtime, making lots of money, and he would literally spend everything he made on motorcycles, four-wheelers, boats, and he'd keep it for a little while and he'd sell it, and he always had something for sale uh, because he, he was like toys to him. He'd, he'd spend all his money on his toys, and his kids were about going ragged and naked. Uh, not literally naked, but uh, they were doing without, and his wife was on a much lower salary. She's keeping the family up. Is that right? No, that's not right. That's not how it's intended to be. That's not being one. Uh, there's lots of examples you could think of. Uh, you could think of, uh, you know, and I'm not saying that you can't uh, go out for a girl's night out or a guy's night out. Not saying that or, at all. Like Mitzi, before she quit teaching, about once a month, I think it was, she'd say, Hey, me and the girls are doing the girls' night out on Wednesday. Is that okay? And I'm like, yeah, go have fun. So when she would do that, me and Marshall or somebody would go out and we'd have a guy's night out. I mean, it's good. It's healthy to do that kind of thing. 
but I shouldn't be going out every single weekend playing music and her stuck at the house and never get to go anywhere. Um, it shouldn't work that way. We need to be team. We need to be team us, as that other earlier slide talked about. Uh, if you will, please move to the next slide. So in Becoming One, think about your marriage as a team of two amazing, unique, and talented individuals. Becoming one with your spouse means you get to play, work, and grow together as a couple. Change your mindset to see your marriage as a team of two so you can achieve your marriage goals and build something great as a couple. The married couple should play to each other's strengths and balance out each other's weaknesses. Uh, a good example of that, uh, Mitzi is very good at managing money. I'm not so much. I do pretty good with my investments. Uh, I do good with that, but uh, I have a tendency if I see a new guitar or something, I'm like, oh man, I gotta have that. And, and Mitzi keeps me in check. It's a good thing. Yeah, uh, sometimes I need her to go upside my head and straighten me out, you know? But to me, that's how a good marriage works. The two people balance each other out. Next slide. Make your decisions together. This is extremely important. I've changed jobs a bunch. Um, and I'm not one of those people who just bounce and changes jobs. Just uh, pretty much every time I've ever changed jobs, I've, I've benefited from it, either financially or some other way. Uh, and God's blessed me. I've told Ryan before, I said, golly, God has blessed me so much. I've always had a good paying job. You know, uh, I just can't brag on him enough. But I don't think I've ever... Correct me if I'm wrong, Mitzi. I don't think I've ever made a job change without talking to you first. And most of the time, she would just say, whatever makes you happy. But if she had ever said, I don't think you should do that, you better believe I would listen to her. Uh, when we were trying to choose a church, we had visited several churches. Uh, we, we'd left from a bad situation at a church. Um, and so we'd visited here, we visited some other places, and I didn't have clarity on it. And so one day I just asked Mitzi, I said, well, where do you think we should go to church? She said, I think we need to go to Plum Tree. And it just spoke to me. And I just knew she was right. So, you know, you got to listen to each other. I'm not always going to have the answer. Mitzi's not always going to have the answer. But if we work together and pray together, we'll get the answer. On this, more often than not, you'll have to come to a compromise in order to move forward in certain aspects of your marriage. You know, and, and compromising don't mean that, okay, she's going to get it her way and I'm going to have to put up with it. That's not really what a true compromise is about. I guess it could be. I guess it happens that way sometimes. But what you really want to do is find a happy medium that both people can live with and that both people are happy with. Next slide. Becoming one, resolve your marriage problems together. 
You know, back when we were talking about being separated from mom and dad's influence, you don't need them stirring in the middle of it trying to help you resolve your marriage problems. It's not going to help it. It's probably going to make it worse. Now, if you go to them and say, hey, what would you do in this scenario? That's one thing. You know, Marshall occasionally on maybe a financial or something, he'll say, Dad, what do you think about this? Not often, but he has maybe a time or two. And I would tell him. Otherwise, I don't just offer my opinion and say, you should do this or you should do that. Or if I ever do, I apologize. I try not to do that because he's got to make his own decisions. Whenever you have any marriage issues like money disagreements, sex, career, etc., put in the effort to resolve them together. Uh, golly, there's lots of people like myself who avoid conflict. I'm bad. I'm bad for that. I will avoid conflict even if it means just taking it. You know, when, when really I ought to speak up, I will to avoid conflict lots of times not say anything. I'll just clam up and not talk. That's a really bad thing in a marriage. You, you really need to sit down, stay calm, not blow up, get mad, and talk things out. You really do. Because if you put it off, um, ignore it, don't talk about it, it's probably not going to get better. It's probably going to get worse. By solving your problems together, you will discover new ways to understand and communicate better with each other. And finally, in addition, it will provide you with a different opportunities to strengthen intimacy in your marriage. So we've talked about the we've talked about the leaving and being out from under the control uh, and being your own unit. We've talked about becoming one. Something that happens, unfortunately, when couples... Uh, blank slide, please. Something that happens, unfortunately, when people um, fail to do this is um, they essentially become married roommates. There's a big difference between being married roommates and being a functioning as one couple. Big difference. Married roommates is kind of like uh, roommates with benefits, I guess. The, the, the woman's going off, she's doing her own thing, her own endeavors, her own goals, her own hobbies, whatever it is. The guy's doing the same thing. He's going off, he's doing his own thing. They, at some point, find their way back to where they live. Maybe it's so late, they're, they're killed. They're just like, ah, oh, I'm so tired. And so they end up in a relationship where they're always tired, where they never have time for each other, where they're both doing their own thing, and their marriage begins to suffer for it. Maybe fine for a little while. You know, it, it, it may work out okay for a little while, but eventually, you know, I was talking about that bitter root. A bitter root's going to start growing in one person or the other. And then the next thing you know, you may be getting divorced over a bologna sandwich. Some characteristics of married roommates. Exhausted. You're too tired. 
sleep deprived, burned out, have nothing to give or energy to connect. Too busy, hectic schedule and demanding responsibilities leave a little time for each other. You know, and some of this can happen too, um, just the way life can be at times. I know when, um, we only had one kid to deal with, but uh, I remember when Marshall was of the age that he was playing soccer, playing basketball or whatever, and you see other families that's got more than one kid, and so the mom's having to take off with part of the kids and do one thing, the dad's having to take off with the other part of the kids and do something else. It's just a necessity. They, they couldn't help that. But uh, you could still do that and handle that situation, but still, still function as one and, and come together and, 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 and be that, have that oneness. That's not really what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about people that are essentially living two separate lives, but they're married and they're living in the same house. And, and it happens all too often. Gentle neglect, you or your marriage is constantly taking a back seat to the cell phone, social media, job, kids, friends, housework, hobbies, etc. And disengaged or separate lives. Complacency, the romantic spark is faded and marriage feels predictable, even boring. Spiritually disconnected, you don't connect together at a deep spiritual level. You know, it's, Im it's important to do that, it's important to pray together. Uh, and as you're working out problems, um, that's a great time for that, a great time for praying together is when you're trying to work out problems. Conflict avoidance, I spoke about that earlier. Sexlessness, 15 to 20% of married couples report that sex is routine, dutiful, infrequent, or non-existent. We're all adults in here, so. Feeling unsafe, your marriage is not safe, is not a safe haven where you feel unconditionally accepted and loved. And visionless, you don't have a vision of how you will use your oneness to serve God and bless others. You don't want this to happen to your marriage. This is not the kind of relationship that you want. Um, if you'll back up to slide number 26. You know, there's a scripture. Oh, I'm struggling with this computer here. There's a scripture from the Song of Solomon. Catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love, for the grapevines are blossoming. That's from Song of Solomon 2, 15. What's that telling us? It's telling us to guard and protect our marriage. The devil wants to do nothing but to seek and destroy. Uh, if he can do it in your family, in your marriage, that's how he'll do it. If he can do it through your finances, the devil don't like you. He wants to give you a hard time. He wants to give your marriage a hard time. You've got to guard against that. And there's a lot of ways you can guard against that. Um, I've often heard it said in the Bible, says, uh, don't, don't go to bed or don't go to sleep or don't let the sun set on your wrath. Um, that's a very bad thing to do, is to have an argument with your spouse, and then you both go to bed before you work it out. 
<clears throat> things like that, you, you've really got to guard your hearts. You've got to guard your marriages. You've got to keep those bitter roots from growing. You've got to keep the enemy from getting in there and stealing your joy and destroying your marriage. Um, but just to recap, um, I think if more marriages, if you want to move to the final slide, I think if more people got the basics right, and I believe the basics are all contained in that verse, in that verse 24 of Genesis. If you really think about it deeply, like I've tried to bring it out here, I hope I've done a good job. I hope it's made sense. Uh, if it's not, I apologize. I've, I've tried to, to give you what God gave me. But I think marriage and what it should be, that scripture is the basics. That's why I called this sermon Marriage 101. You know, from college, your 101 class is the first class you've got to take. That sets the foundation for everything. This verse sets the foundation for it all. If you don't get this right, you're going to struggle in some way. If you get this right, I think your marriage has a good chance of flourishing. I appreciate your attention. Uh, I hope you got something out of this. And I don't know how long that took, if that was short or whatever, but that's it. All right, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we just praise you. God, we just thank you. God, I, I thank you for this opportunity to stand. Uh, Lord, you know it's not something I do very often, uh, but God, I do thank you for the opportunity. God, I just pray that you will take the words and let the meaning I was trying to convey find a lodging place in people's hearts. God, I pray for blessings for our married couples in this church. God, I pray for protection from the little foxes, from the evil one, from the devil who would like to destroy them. And God, I pray that you would just prosper and bless all the families in this church. God, we praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.